0: You're listening to TCRG to CEO Radio with your host, Courtney J. TCRG. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 25 of TCRG to CEO Radio. I'm your host, Courtney J. TCRG, and this week's episode is a Q&A. And the questions have come from our listeners-only Facebook community as well as my community over on Instagram. And this is just for a little bit of fun. And I like the questions that are on here this time around. I did a Q&A in season one. And if you want to go back and look at that, you can listen to it on whatever platform you're listening to this episode on. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you that you can join the Facebook community by going to facebook.com slash groups slash TCRG to CEO. And you can follow me over on Instagram at Courtney J underscore TCRG. And you can have the opportunity to submit questions for whatever Q&A comes up in the future. And if you don't follow me over on Instagram, you wouldn't know that I... Post a Tuesday story that has to do with teaching questions. I address something to do with teaching, usually, some type of struggle that other teachers are facing or how I teach a specific movement or something. Uh, and then on Thursday, it's kind of an open ended uh, ask me anything so that it can be something that doesn't fit super neatly into the Tuesday question or the Saturday question, which is all small business Saturday anything to do with business, so the kind of back end of running a studio, and we have some really good uh, information going on over there, and it usually sparks a good discussion, so if you want to get involved in either of those places, I would love to interact with you there. So this week's Q&A, keep in mind that most of these questions ask for my personal opinion or anything that I'm answering is derived from my personal experience and personal opinion. And of course, you are free and welcome to disagree with me on any and all of the answers that I give. But that's okay, because we all have different experiences and different perspectives. And it's this type of community uh, that I enjoy being able to share and learn from other people. Because just like anything, we don't know what normal, and I'm doing air quotes on that, really is because we only know what we know and other people have walked different paths and it doesn't make any of them less valid. So by me sharing some of my answers to this, maybe it'll just spark a thought in your head. It might spark an idea. It might spark a debate. Who knows? That's the fun of being in the Facebook community or over on Instagram because there's always a discussion to be had based on whatever I'm sharing. So let's get started with today's episode. All right. The first question is, how do I keep the tiniest kids engaged and how to make class not boring? And this is an interesting one for me because this is something that I'm looking at improving in the year ahead. It's not that our little ones aren't engaged, but I think there's definitely some more creative ideas that I can put into the class structure and the programming just to make it a little bit more exciting. At the beginning of every year, there's always a little bit of turnover with the youngest preschool kids because some of them haven't ever gone to a class on their own and they're just not ready or sometimes the parents are nervous about it and I think if I'm able to at least incorporate a couple different things that make class something they really really don't want to miss and something that helps the youngest ones get over that separation anxiety that they typically have I think it will just strengthen the program and of course make class more enjoyable for the kids that maybe. Um, need a little bit more more than just Irish dance skills to really feel involved. So stay tuned because I will definitely let you guys know what I'm doing and if I feel like it's working. The next question is a little bit of a, a combo of teaching and business, I guess. And it is, what is the best way to deliver class placements? Written on paper, digitally? And I think by class placements, they mean like recommendations for the year ahead. And this is something that I was just working on recently since obviously we're closing up our academic year here in the United States and we're getting ready to kind of close for the summer and then reopen again, obviously in the fall. And at least I have always let the parents know ahead of time which class their child should be registering in for the fall. And I used to send emails to each family individually and obviously this was something that I could do when the school was really small but when it grows then you have to figure out a different system for doing this and I talk about growing pains a lot on Instagram and this is one of the things that if you are a studio owner you'll find is a growing pain that sometimes when you grow the things you used to do just simply don't work anymore and what I moved to after just emailing everyone personally was we have kind of progress report updates and I used to put them in there and I still do but I'm also able to set a eligibility list for each class through my studio management software and this allows me to just check a couple boxes and yes it's tedious when you have you know the number of students that are currently in my programs but it's definitely faster than emailing everyone personally and it's it basically what it allows me to do is check the check the student names that are allowed to register for each class and I don't have to do it so if it's something that's open-ended I don't have to go through and like check every single student I can just not touch it and it'll let anyone register but let's just say there's something where I want to discourage certain people from registering, but allow others to do so. I'm able to just check a couple boxes and it'll show up on some people's registration manager, but not others. So that is something that I really, really love and I advocate for having a studio management software. If I could go back and do it again from the beginning, I would use it from year one, even though I didn't quote unquote need it in year one. It's just something that you will eventually need, and it's definitely worth investing in. And then this question came in in a variety of different forms in a couple different places. And one of them said, how do you select dancers for teams? Another said, what is your Arakta's team prep like? How many hours a week? How long? Etc. And the other version of it was, any and all advice regarding Kaylee teams to prepare for Arakta's and obviously, this is something that people really want to know about. And I can't profess to be an expert in teams. Our team program is still fairly young. Uh, we've done teams at the past three Eraktas, and I'm happy enough with the results. Uh, our region is extremely talented in teams in particular, and it's, a, it's tough to break in as a you know, newer, younger school that you have obviously all kids that have not spent their whole lives dancing together because the school isn't that old but i focus on basics you know we all know that skip two threes and sevens are the cornerstone of kaylee's um we focus a lot on counts and knowing that counts are important and they have defined movements that need to happen within them and as far as selecting dancers what I look for is a dancer who is able to execute those basics extremely well with good technique, confidence, timing, etc. cetera. They have to have good attendance. That's like a non-negotiable for me because obviously if you're putting someone in a team, if they're not there, then they can't really serve their purpose for the team. And I don't feel that for my particular customer base, it's necessarily... Um, beneficial or I guess the word I'm really looking for is like palatable. I don't think my customers would really tolerate year-round Arakta's team prep. So what I do is as much as I can. We obviously have our Arakta's in November. So that's kind of our end goal. We don't have teams advancing to like Worlds or North Americans or anything like that yet. So we start in the spring. So it starts in April. That's where we kind of get everybody going. We change over the figure. We get the new kids, you know, polishing up their team basics, learning what it's like to actually be on a team, work on the arm work and everything. And then they don't have class throughout the summer, but they do have a summer camp. So we work on it again in summer camp just to kind of tide us over And then in the fall, it's really just the finishing work. Everyone knows the dance. We've set the teams and it's really just getting them for the last 10, 11, 12 weeks to work together to put their best effort forward. And I am happy that we've had teams recall before um, and hopefully onwards and upwards on that. Uh, Let me make sure that I addressed everybody's parts of those questions. Because like I said, it came in a couple different times and a couple different ways. But I think the same applies with solos. But in Kaylee's, it's you need to have a certain eye for detail and level of attention to what needs to get done. And I think the challenge that I personally find with teams is... I'm someone that can see absolutely everything that's wrong and it's kind of like prioritizing what to fix and how to fix it because when you just see something that to you looks like a trash pile and you're trying to figure out like which (laughs) what do you clean up first and to be honest that's kind of how I feel about our nationals dancing right now. But I know it'll get there and I know that I'm much harder on What it looks like than probably anybody else. So I guess you can take a little bit of comfort in that too. (laughs) The next question is Would you open up a possible position, as in a staff position, to current teachers first? Would you open it up to your students' parents? Or do you want a complete stranger who doesn't know much about your studio culture or Irish dance? And this came through in the Facebook group after the episode. Uh, I think it was number 21 that I was talking about uh, hiring and managing staff. And for this question, it's totally personal preference for you, but I can kind of talk you through each of the options, kind of pros and cons. If you open up the position to current teachers, like let's just say it's an office admin position and you have a couple teachers and you want to know if you can have them kind of fill those hours and fill that time. There's definitely nothing wrong with that. It depends on what type of work you want this person to do and whether they are a good fit for that job description. Um, like I know, I'll just use myself as an example. Obviously, I do the admin and I teach. And I, if I had to look at myself from the outside, I could see hiring myself for both roles. But if I look at... Another teacher, for example, within my own, you know, organization, they are a fantastic teacher, but I don't know that I would hire them for admin necessarily, and it's just because of the type of work that I need them to do, Um, and their personality just doesn't quite match up with that, and that's totally fine. That doesn't negate their ability to teach. And same thing with, you know, just, I know this will be a cliche example, but like, think of a like library receptionist like would they necessarily make the best teacher maybe not like they might you know like just because somebody's good at one thing doesn't mean that they're necessarily good at everything um as far as opening it up to students parents I personally wouldn't um it's just not in my comfort zone I think it opens up a lot of possibility for drama um not just between you and the parent but also um, between other parents. For me, it would also be an issue of privacy and boundaries. Um, I don't know that a parent could necessarily do the work that I would need to do, or I would need to have someone do in that position because it involves payment information. It involves following up and chasing late payments. It involves selling. It involves you know, students' personal information, and that's just something that I'm not comfortable with and just something you can think about. If it's something that's more of, like, a greeter who, like, sells shoes and, like, kind of does things like that, then maybe a parent could do that, and that's totally fine and obviously up to you. For me, I did end up hiring complete strangers both times, and it's all... Um, The reason that works out for me is that each job, I guess, um, duty is something that's entirely trainable and doesn't necessarily need a background in Irish dance to be able to do. So yes, it helps to know a little bit about Irish dance, but at the same time, if I was going in to get a job selling shoes at Payless... Um, they can teach me, you know, the different shoes that they offer the same way that I can teach someone the different programs that we offer. And they need to know about the program, but they don't need to know every in and out of it because that's my job. And that's why you have different staff to kind of spread the work out. And everyone has parts that they're responsible for. And the next one, I told you I loved all these questions. The next one is how to overcome self doubt and keep pushing forward. And I know that this comes up for like every human ever. Like, I don't think I've ever talked to someone who's just like, oh, self doubt. Like, no, I've never, I've never felt that before. I think we all do. And I think this is also just a timely question coming out after the episode I did last week about burnout. And I think, at least my experience is when I am burnt out, or if I'm feeling stress, or just, I guess, like deflation in other parts of my life, like it's easier to doubt myself in the areas that I know that I'm really good at, and if you haven't heard me mention it before, my favorite book that completely changed my mindset and outlook as a competitor is Thinking, Body, Dancing, Mind um, by... Huang and Lynch, that's their last names because I don't want to butcher Huang's first name. And I came across this book in my university research for my uh, final year thesis. And it's just full of so much coaching that is applicable to obviously sports and performance and things like that. But it's also things that apply to business and just your general life and how you approach things. And I mean, there's a whole section on just like obstacles that we put up in front of ourselves. And it almost breaks down where your self doubt may come from. And for me, that was super helpful just to identify and um, help fix the internal dialogue that we have with ourselves. So when you're about to tell yourself, um, you know, something that comes from a place of self doubt, which might be, you know, well, why would anyone you know dance here like you're not as good as so-and-so how to like stop that conversation before it really even makes a full sentence and replacing it with a better more confident uh dialogue so i highly recommend that book for anybody you don't have to be a dancer a teacher or a business owner like just go and read the book and it's a little bit of a strange book so go in with an open mind and everything um but It can be really helpful. And of course, if you are a competitor or a business owner, or you just need kind of a pick-me-up in life, then I recommend it even more. The only other thing I kind of have on overcoming self-doubt is as much as I am guilty of it myself, and this is usually where my self-doubt thoughts come from, is comparing myself to other people. Like it's very easy for me to go like oh well look like that school is doing this or has this or has this many students or whatever it is and then I'll be like but wait you've been open for you know this is your fifth year like this is their whatever year like they've been doing this longer than you it's okay that you know they are seemingly ahead of you or whatever it is and When you compare, um, you know, they say that comparison is the theft of joy for a reason. When you compare, you're not, you can't be evaluating fairly because, like I said at the top of the episode, everyone's experience is different and you can't directly compare your journey to someone else's because you started in different places, you're currently in different places, and you're probably going to end in different places, so... I'm trying to, even just in my own self, try and work on not always jumping to comparison because it does nothing but make you stressed and miserable. So who wants that? All right. And then this is a question that I actually really hadn't even thought about until it came through. And it's, what do I think of sponsored dancers from Kilo Gear, Camellia Rose, all the different kind of vendors, Lorne Early, whatever? Um, is this good or bad for the sport? And like I said, I hadn't really given this a lot of thought. And then I saw the question come through and I was like, Hmm, what do I think about that? And let me start off by saying like, I definitely don't hate it. Like it's not something where I'm like, Oh, like why are people doing this? Or like, why are companies doing this? Because of course, as a business owner, I understand that for the business, they want High profile dancers representing them because there's a lot of up and coming dancers or younger dancers that would like to emulate them in any way, shape, or form. So, if they're, you know, hawking a product or a service or whatever it is, um, there's going to be a lot of people that want to jump on that bandwagon. So, from a business standpoint, totally understand. For the dancers that are representing these companies, You know, it's like a win-win for them, too, because you are probably getting uh, a couple complimentary products or services or whatever it is. You are getting hyped on, you know, social media um, and at competitions. So it's like being an influencer of sorts. And I mean, who's not going to like that? Um, And then the other part um, is that being promoted on social media Um, has been something that's come up more recently of, you know, kind of a way to get exposure um, coming into competitions. And like I said, I'm not, um, I'm not really for or against it. I definitely am not criticizing the companies or the dancers that are involved in these types of business relationships. Um, As far as it being good or bad for the sport, And I think this is where it gets a little fuzzy. I think for the sport as a modern, evolving athletic discipline, then it's kind of just like on track. It's right on par because this happens in other sports too. As far as it being a traditional dance rooted in folk tradition, folk art, um, whatever you kind of want to say. Um, then I think there's going to be some pushback eventually and I think this leads nicely into a similar question which is given how artistic Irish dance or sorry with let's start that over with how athletic Irish dance has become there has to be a ceiling Do you think dancers will resort to PED usage, which is performance-enhancing drugs, in case you are not familiar with the acronym, to give themselves an extra edge? It would allow them to train longer, recover faster, etc. Do you think drug testing will come into play at some point? And the reason I lead into this question is because I think it kind of poses the same issue. Obviously, to address the first part, I would hope that dancers wouldn't resort to performance-enhancing drugs But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if someone eventually does. Um, I don't think that there's enough at stake for people to, for this to truly become a widespread problem. Um, Obviously, this comes up in other sports that have, you know, the Olympics on the line, that have, you know, multi-million dollar sponsorships on the line, multi-million dollar contracts, whatever it is obviously we don't have that the other part of this that I mean I would hope that people don't do this is this is a sport that for the vast majority is minors and I mean I have never seen anyone condone minors taking any kind of drugs um I would hope that performance enhancing drugs would fit into that same category but who knows stranger things have happened um And I think this is where it would get fuzzy. Like, I can't imagine CLRG ever putting out a memo that's like, Oh, hey, uh, starting at Worlds, you know, you got to raise your arms like an airplane and you got to pee in a cup so we can drug test you. Like, I would roll over dying laughing if that ever came out in an email because I just don't think, um, I don't think that it would... Ever be something that even crosses the minds of CLRG um, unless it really really became like a huge widespread rampant problem Um, and I think even then like it would take a little bit of pushing Um, so just an interesting question like it was something I had never ever thought of Um, certainly never went through my mind Um, but time will tell I guess I mean I think for now it's like as we approach that ceiling of you know maximum athleticism I guess I think we'll see a higher burnout rate of dancers um I mentioned in the burnout episode that like this is not something that just happens in business or um in work you know Burnout, I definitely experience burnout during competition. And, you know, we have some younger, really talented kids that come up really fast and they're really at risk for burning out. So I think we'll see the burnout rate increase first. I think we'll see the injury rate continue to go up first. And then we'll kind of see where that takes us. Um, And to be honest, I would see not like a complete turnaround come from there, but I'd like to think that there would be kind of like a wake-up call of like, hey, wow, like this is really stressful on the body. Like we need to do something about this instead of kind of pushing past that ceiling and being like, okay, hey, kids, here's some, you know, some stuff that'll make you train harder and, you know, not hurt as much. I don't know. Again, my personal opinion, feel free to disagree with me, but this would be a great discussion topic over in the Facebook group. So if you're listening to the episode and you are also in the Facebook group, definitely let me know on the post for this episode what you think of sponsored dancers and if you think that PED usage will be a problem in the future. And the final one to wrap up this season's Q&A, it is, At Worlds, I noticed some dancers had different dresses on day one and day two. Do you think this will negatively affect dancers in the future? And will it become the norm to have two dresses? I would like to say that I don't think it will be the norm to have two dresses. If anything, I think it'll be kind of what we saw on the Doherty Petri Dancers, which was kind of like old dress on day one, new dress on day two. And I personally, if like if I had a new dress, I would just wear it both days. I don't think I could wait. I don't think I would have like a farewell party for my old dress, but I don't know what the... Uh, strategy what is or was um for why they would wear two different dresses um there I'm sure there was or there is and who knows maybe I'm just naive but um for me personally with two different panels anyway I don't know wear wear your new dress two days why not go for it um but at the same time if you want to have a farewell party for your old dress and you know have the excitement of a new dress on day 2. Um and actually as I'm talking about it out loud maybe that's the strategy is just like maybe you want that, you know, new dress high on day 2 instead of day 1. I don't know. But uh no, I don't think it'll be the norm to have two dresses. I just don't think that's attainable enough or realistic for the vast majority of dancers. Like I said, unless it was like a day, you know, old dress, new dress thing or what I could get on board with what is like the interchangeable dress parts of like the tops that change color or have like different leotards underneath or like attain Mulvana's old dress that had like two different tops and two different skirts that you could like interchange them to have four different dresses. I could get on board with that, but beyond that, no, don't like it. Um, so that's going to wrap up. This week's episode, and hopefully you enjoyed it, I have a couple of different guests I'm trying to get on the show in the near future, and I hope that you will stay tuned for that. And of course, if you have anything you'd like to discuss, you do not have to be some like super somebody, like I'm certainly not, Um, you know, definitely get in touch about what you might want to share on the podcast, because that would be fun. Uh, you can let us know in the comments in the Facebook group if you have any recommendations for people that you'd really like to hear on the show. And until next week, this is TCRG to CEO Radio. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on TCRG to CEO Radio.